a credit score is a rating that allows someone to qualify for a line of credit, which could be a loan such as a mortgage or a credit card. We are assigned a credit score based on a credit history, which could be related to work history, rental payments, or loan repayments. One problem with the credit scoring system is that it is not internationalized. If I'm going from Brazil to the United States, I have a rental history of Brazil, and that information does not get naturally ported over to the United States. There needs to be a system for translating a foreign credit history to a U.S. credit history. NovaCredit is a system that makes a credit passport. NovaCredit is a company that allows users in one geographic location to make the credit history that they have built up to have credit in another location, namely the United States. Brian Regan and Misha Esipov work at NovaCredit, and they join the show to talk about how the company works and the problem that it solves. Misha and Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Judge. Pleasure to be here. You both work at NovaCredit, which is a system for getting a U.S. credit history derived from an international credit history. And I'd like to start on the topic of credit history. I was born in the United States. How is my credit history generated over time? Yeah, it's a great question. Misha here, happy to, happy to try to take that one. So there's this you know, big and uh, unclear world of consumer credit reporting. It's an industry that's been around for over 100 years. Uh, it's dominated by three big players that you may have heard of, Experian, Equifax, TransUnion. And these three businesses effectively have generated one of the most valuable data assets in the world. And the way they do it is a, is a very simple mechanism where over the course of many decades, they have assembled uh, over 10,000 what are called data furnishing relationships, meaning they'll go out to basically every lender in the country and get those lenders to provide them with information about people's borrowing. And then they will match that information to be able to find every loan that I have. And then they make that data asset available back to those lenders for a fee. How does the credit history process of the United States differ from the processes in other countries? Yeah, every country's got its own uh, flavor for how, for how to think about this. I mean, there's a little bit of industry context for you. So 20 years ago, the credit reporting industry had about 25 credit bureaus. And today there are uh, over 200 uh, of them around the world. So the, the industry has really blossomed as a result of the, you know, the big three U.S. credit bureaus expanding around the world, as well as uh, a lot of work by the World Bank and the IFC to build credit bureaus in emerging economies. And, and the reason that credit bureaus are important is that they ultimately create this uh, sort of safety and soundness of consumer lending where you're rewarded for good behavior and you're penalized for, for bad behavior. And so for the most part, every major economy has one. There's only one G20 economy that doesn't, and that happens to be France. I can share, you, share a long anecdote as to why. And the biggest difference in the, the world of credit reporting is whether credit data that is assembled is what's called positive or negative. So positive credit reporting is what we're accustomed to here in the U.S., uh, which means both the good and the bad is reporting. So if you pay your loans on time or if you go delinquent, both the good and the bad is reported to the U.S. bureaus. Whereas in other markets like Brazil, as an example, they, they follow what's called a negative reporting environment. Uh, which means only the bad is is reported. 
So if someone comes from another country and enters the United States, they move to the United States, and they want to build a credit history, what is the process that they take when they're coming from a place that has a very different credit reporting infrastructure? Yeah, so prior to, to Nova's existence, and you may have friends who've had to do this, when, when you first come to the U.S., and you apply for uh, a financial product, whether that's a credit card, an auto loan, a student loan, an apartment lease, even a cell phone plan, those service providers will go and check with the U.S. credit bureaus, and the U.S. credit bureaus will say, I don't know who this person is. And so by no fault of your own, you sort of have this like blank slate, and you will typically get rejected for those products. And so what you end up doing is finding hacks to get started. So those hacks include suboptimal products like, like secured cards, where you'll actually give the bank $500 and the bank will give you a line back for $500. Or you'll ask your friend to put you on their like family plan at, you know, at T-Mobile. Or you know, you'll look to friends and family to co-sign something for you. So there, there are a variety of hacks that people had to, had to take. Fortunately, as you know, after four years of, of hard work in, in building data pipelines and infrastructure and data standardization around the world, we can now solve that information asymmetry. And, and, and the way we do it is uh, we'll actually go around the world and access an individual's record from their home country only with their consent, right? Only if they voluntarily and explicitly decide that, you know, I want this information to come with me uh, to the U.S., that we can then insert that information to uh, provide incremental credit access to somebody that would otherwise be rejected. So let's talk a little bit about how a credit history actually gets used in the United States. So a credit history is used to inform a decision for a loan or a credit card issuance. What are the important signals in a credit history that will go into the decisioning process for the loan issuer or the credit card issuer? It's a great question. And you know, we'll do my best to, to cover that one, but I think we're, we're very fortunate at Nova Credit to have a one of the best you know, credit risk and analytics teams on the planet. For those listening, you may be familiar with the FICO score. There's also a, a product out there called Vantage Score. So if you go to like creditkarma.com and pull your credit score, what you're actually pulling is a Vantage Score. And so the, the creator of, of Vantage Score, Sarah Davies, uh, happens to be our, our head of risk and analytics. So she's actually the person that's tasked with the, the Herculean effort of building a global credit score, which is effectively what we've done. In terms of the core inputs to, to that, you know, it's about, are you paying on time? How many trade lines do you have? A trade line means like a credit card would be a trade line or an apartment lease could be a trade line or a utility bill could be a trade line. The more trade lines you have, the more experience with debt that you have, generally a higher score. How many times have you been delinquent in the last 90 days? If you're showing delinquencies, that will hurt your score. Are you carrying a large balance relative to your available balance? That can hurt your score. And ultimately, there are a variety of factors that, that play into the development of a, a modern credit score. Those factors can differ slightly around the world. And a lot of our IP happens to sit in, you know, how do we standardize the various you know, credit data definitions around the world and develop um, enhanced attributes, insights, analytics scores uh, on top of that. And tell me a little bit more about the credit bureaus. So the, the credit bureaus in the United States, how are they collecting data? And why aren't these credit bureaus international? 
so they, they the way they collect data is they've they've established these relationships with lenders around the country that provide them with information. And these these credit bureaus actually do in fact exist around the world. So as an example, TransUnion uh, exists in Canada. Experian exists in several large economies in Europe. Uh, Equifax exists in a lot of Latin America. They have expanded around the world, but none of them have their own global solution. And they actually have more of a regional focus. And so when it comes to this problem of supporting immigrants and newcomers with financial access, none of them can actually solve a significant share of this problem. So if you look at their global footprint and map that relative to immigrant inflows into the U.S., they can each solve about a third of the problem. Through our existing partnerships with those three providers, as well as the various independent bureaus around the world, we can now solve close to two-thirds of the problem. And revisiting, before we get to engineering and before we get to Nova Credit itself, I just want a little more about the the ecosystem that we're talking about here. So in these other countries that have different reporting infrastructure, how much diversity is there? Like if you're trying to build a common layer for the different credit infrastructures of the other countries, how much diversity is there and how painful is it to try to make a system that unifies those? Well, you should, you should talk to our, our data team to really <laughs> get to the bottom of it. But I, I think it depends on the country. So I'll, I'll give you a, a specific example. Like in India, there is a, a fairly common form of debt that does not exist in the U.S. system, and that is called a gold loan. So a, a gold loan is where you provide... Uh, collateral to an to a lending institution, the form of gold that you happen to own, and usually jewelry, and they will provide you with a loan that's collateralized by that jewelry. And so that is a specific trade line that doesn't exist in the U.S. Like yes, we have collateralized debt uh, through you know a mortgage is an example of a of collateralized loan where you collateralize with a house or an auto loan, but that this construct of a gold loan doesn't exist in the U.S. credit system, and so we have to deal with various cultural nuances that exist around the world to normalize this information into what we call a credit passport, which is you know the core of our IP, the same way that a, a passport is how you enter into a new country. Your credit passport is how you access financial services around the world. Right. Okay. So explain what Nova Credit does in more detail. We've gone around the world and effectively aggregated the uh, global credit reporting industry into a single user experience and uh, API delivery mechanism. So what that means in practice is, you know, for example, in Mexico, there are two credit bureaus. These are both private sector bureaus. They're for-profit institutions. They're regulated, certainly, but they're not government entities. Uh, we've built partnerships with these credit bureaus. And in doing so, we are given the right through consent of a, a given consumer to go to that credit bureau and access an individual credit record. So once we have access to that raw material, we will spend a lot of time refining it into uh, what we've, you know, what I just mentioned around a, a credit passport, which is our sort of our refined product, our finished product. Uh, and then we will deliver that product into an application flow uh, here in the U.S. So the the way to think of the of the user experience is, you know, you just moved to the U.S. from you know from Canada, Mexico, the U.K., 
India, et cetera. We've got about 20 markets that we have partnerships in at this point. And you decide to apply for a financial product here. And we're, we're public, for example, about um, our, our partnership with American Express. So let's say you decide to apply for an Amex. You've never heard of Nova Credit before, but either you know your, your, your friend recommended you supply for an Amex or you, know, you got hit with an ad or something like that, and you choose to apply for an Amex card. You'll go through a standard application flow. And at one point in the applicant journey, it's determined that you don't have U.S. history. And that's where Nova inserts itself uh, in real time into the applicant flow. We will then take the consumer through a quick user experience to access their foreign history, uh, only with their ex- only with their express consent. Uh, and then we will deliver the standardized credit passport in real time to American Express so that they can parse that information, run their own sets of rules, and ultimately in real time take somebody from a rejection to an approval. All right. So... The example you gave, like someone who came from India and they are applying for an American Express credit card in the United States, American Express would hit your API, correct? And everything you just described would happen. And then American Express would have a, what you call the credit, or the credit passport, or the, what is it? The global passport? Global credit passport, something like that. Credit passport, um, you got it right. Credit passport, right. So American Express basically gets something that they can assess even though this person came from India. Exactly. So they they did the best they could with the U.S. system, and the U.S. system came back to them, the U.S. credit bureaus, and said, I have no idea who this person is. And so normally they would reject that person at that point. But rather than rejecting them, due to a lack of information, we give the customer the opportunity to import, transfer their foreign history that is delivered in a manner that is uh, instantaneous, standardized, compliant with U.S. standards, with additional you know, insights and scores and analytics on top, so that American Express can then look at this new piece of data and make a more informed decision and hopefully get somebody approved. So remind me again, why don't the credit bureaus do this? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great question. There are a whole host of reasons, you know, that that come down to you know it's hard to build innovative solutions. It's hard to align these large you know multi billion dollar organizations. But at the end of the day, it comes down to how, by virtue of being a independent new entrant that is tech first in our orientation, we've been able to aggregate this space because we can work with everybody and because we are non-threatening to any one of them. And so, for example, if you know TransUnion wanted to go and aggregate their existing bureaus, they could only solve about a third of the problem. And so if you think about somebody who can only solve a third of the problem, going to American Express and trying to get this product into market, um, that is not a sufficient solution. You need to be able to solve this problem for the majority of people that are moving into the U.S. every year. And by virtue of working with every major bureau, we're able to actually get to a critical mass of data supply and data aggregation that makes this product viable. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about what is happening on your back end when American Express hits your API because they want information about somebody who just moved from India. Tell me, just give me an overview of, maybe you could give me an overview and then Brian could could maybe shed some more light engineering-wise 
on what happens when Amex hits your API. So, so the, maybe I'll speak a little bit to the user, user flow in a little bit more detail, and, and Brian can speak to the, the technical systems. So on, from, a, from a user perspective, the way to think about it is as a newcomer to the U.S., you're in search of an American Express card, right? You want to get approved for this product, and there's no other way to do it. And in the middle of your application, we emerge in the form of an iframe on the Amex page and take you through a workflow that takes you know up to a couple minutes, uh, one to two minutes, that gets us the information that we need to identify you in a foreign bureau, to handle the legal compliance regulatory complexity of global data privacy and global consumer reporting, and then also to authenticate you in real time with the foreign bureau based on the unique authentication standards of every country that we work with, only then to receive the raw file from the bureau, standardize it, repackage it, expose it in our API, and make that available to American Express. And Brian, you want to shed some engineering light? Yeah, yeah, it? definitely. So the bureau integrations there, as Misha talked about previously, they are, I, I think we've been able to, to identify some commonalities, but really each individual bureau integration is its own beast. And I would say at a high level, what happens is we go and we attempt to find a record with this, this credit bureau by passing some uh, PII, personal identifying information that we've collected from the user on the front end. Then the bureau generally will generate some KDAs, so some questions that we can present to the user to, to provide uh, some knowledge-based authentication. We'll collect that information, we'll present the questions, collect the information, send it back to the bureau, who will then validate the answers to those questions, and then we'll pull that report. And the report can come in a number of different formats. I think most commonly it's XML. Uh, it could be some, some fixed, fixed with file as well. We're dealing with some very old technologies, which is part of the, part of the challenge in, what it, in, in building the products that we happen to be building. And then once we pull that raw credit report information, there are a number of steps that happen on the back end in our systems. We'll interpret that information, we'll map it, and what we mean by mapping is we work with our data team to map the fields that we're getting from the credit bureau and then uh, normalize it to match our canonical internal data format. We'll then push that information into our, our Nova scoring system. So we also work with the data team to generate a score based on the information that we're getting for the credit bureau for that particular country, and then generate either a PDF or a JSON payload and then, and then pass that up back up to the, the client for, for rendering. Got it. So does the interaction differ from different clients? So if, if there's somebody, like if, if Amex is requesting the credit passport versus like a tenant screening product, like a you know, this person from India is applying for an apartment. Does the rental application credit passport differ from the credit card passport? It does not, no. But I will say that the data that we provide our end enterprise customer is is dependent on that uh, particular configuration and integration. So we've got, we have the credit bureau data that we have uh, brought onto our platform. We have alternative forms of data. We have scores that we generate, we have scores that the credit bureaus generate, and the, the end enterprise uses that information in different ways, and, and we will 
uh, we, we have this modularization effort going on to where we can you know, feature flag things and turn different data streams on and off depending on the needs of the customer. But I would say that overall, they're, they're still looking for the same, uh, same top level items that you would find on a standard US credit report and using that to decision. So when you reach out to the Indian credit infrastructure, tell me about how you actually get the data. Because I imagine the those systems are highly variable and how technically sophisticated they are. Like It's unlikely that India and Brazil and everywhere else has a consistent API surface that you can just like request data from. Can you tell me about the different integrations with these different geos? Yeah, definitely. So there are, as I mentioned, some commonalities. So we've, we've kind of identified these three different phases that, that most credit bureaus happen to implement. So the first one is just identification. Does this user, do you recognize this user? The second is generating the, the knowledge-based authentication questions. And then the third is actually pulling the report. As, as far as the, the handshaking and the technologies used, that really varies pretty widely. What we see most often is that we're communicating via X, getting XML payloads back from these credit bureaus. In some cases, they're building the KBA mechanism purely for us, and, and we are telling them what those questions should look like so that we can properly authenticate the, the end consumer. So it's, it's really on a, a bureau by bureau basis, and uh, we've managed to bring on one bureau to date that's using JSON, which is a real delight, but uh, for, <laughs> for the most part, it's just some of these older technologies, which is, as an engineer, one of the things that drew me to Nova Credit is you don't want to, I don't want to be building things that anybody can build, right? I, I think being able to integrate with all these different bureaus and doing the hard work to be able to pull that data onto our platform in a common format and present that to our end customer is, is really challenging. I think availability is also challenging. We've got security concerns. Some of these bureaus, we have to spin up, our, uh, we have to spin up uh, infrastructure in that country to fulfill uh, local legal and, and compliance requirements. So it's really challenging work and looking for more people that are ready to rise to that challenge. Yeah, I mean, this is the the moat that I guess you're you're building. So if you imagine like an XML payload coming from India and you've got to build some consistent way of parsing that XML payload and normalizing it with all the other countries that you're interfacing with, uh, that's, that's not an easy, e easy thing to solve. What's the infrastructure like for the processing of those different payloads? So like when, when you are getting back this, this payload, that's in a format from India, that's totally foreign to, to you. How do you normalize it and make it aligned with the U S credit standards. Yeah, I can't give enough credit to our internal data team who does a lot of the hard work up front by looking at the, the raw data that we're getting from these credit bureaus and then and then providing us with the format that we need to telling us exactly how we should be mapping this to our internal canonical format. So first step is take that XML and and transform it into JSON as <laughs> something more usable. So we use Node.js on the back end. I've got JavaScript all over the stack. And much of the, the boilerplate that is needed for a, a country integration, we actually, we have some code generation tooling that 
we'll do that for us automatically, which has allowed us to increase velocity there. And then we have a common set of middleware for you know, error handling and XML parsing and such. But uh, once we've got this data and we've transformed it into JSON, we've mapped it into our internal format, then the scoring is, is also based on uh, the, the data that we happen to get from our data team. And, and when you're coming up with a credit score, you can do it in a couple of different ways. So one is using a population ranking system. So literally ranking you uh, stacked ranked with the rest of the population in your country and then taking that stack rank and comparing it to the US stack rank. And the other way to do that is just measuring absolute risk. And that approach is a little bit more nuanced, but the approach that we take is also dependent on the quality of data that we're getting from the credit bureau. Got it. Can you tell me more about the structure of the teams at Nova Credit? So, like, there's a lot of domain-specific information here. Obviously, uh, credit infrastructure, for example. How do the requirements for credit infrastructure get translated into conversations to the engineering teams? And, and what are those different teams? So, the core, like industry domain knowledge sits with the credit risk and analytics team. So that's this, uh, this person, Sarah Davies, who I mentioned earlier, who built Vantage Score. Um, that team is responsible for, you know, going around the world, uh, building these partnerships, and ultimately developing the, you know, the formula for how to take that, you know, that gold loan in India to, you know, into our overall global data format of the credit passport. So they would they work very closely with the engineering team and the product team to sort of bring together a high quality of data standardization, user experience, and overall like uptime and, and system stability to bring a you know enterprise grade solution to market. Got it. So is there much data engineering or data science across the platform, or is it mostly just the cleaning up of data? This is a timely question. So we just spun up a data engineering team. We are a data company and it's we're dealing with the supply and demand of data. And I think as we grow, a data engineering team is gonna be a really important function going forward. We, we do have a data scientist that sits on Sarah Davies' team, on the credit team, that is analyzing this data, coming up with the mappings and, and credit scores. Uh, within engineering, there is no ML function to speak of currently. And the reason for that is we are not loan originators, right? We're not underwriting. If we were to go to an American Express with some sort of ML-based solution, then we wouldn't be able to get a meeting. I think these companies are still very interested in, in coming up with credit scores the traditional way, and, and rightfully so. Hey, Misha, can you tell me more about the B2B market here and because you're talking about basically what you sell is a product for american express or the rental infrastructure use case like i'm i coming from india and i want to rent at an apartment i don't have a credit history there that it's in the best interest of the rental company to go out and find my my credit history if they can tell me more about the different companies that would want to integrate with nova credit so as I mentioned in the beginning, like the underlying problem is felt most acutely by the newcomer, by, by the actual consumer. And the problem persists in 
all sorts of use cases. So credit, getting a credit card, getting an auto loan, getting a student loan, getting a mortgage, getting an apartment lease, getting a cell phone plan. Uh, but as a business, you know, we have to go to market and build a product um, that for each one of those use cases requires some, you know, s- some, some customization depending on how distribution works for those products and, 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 and such. So from a go-to-market perspective, today we've really focused on going after credit cards, student loans, and cell phone plans. Those have really been the, the three products that we focused on, and we work with you know, a number of uh, Fortune 500 companies now who you know, really, really use us for tapping into a customer segment that was previously unavailable to them. And I think that the way to think about the overall value proposition is really a demographic argument, where if you look at U.S. population growth today, about 60% of our population growth comes from migration. So what that means is that in a given, any given year, there are more people who are moving to the U.S. than there are Americans born. And if you fast forward you know, 20, 20, 30 years, you know, Americans aren't having a lot of babies and that the expected share is that migration needs to drive about 80% of U.S. population growth. And so that means that there are four times more people expected to be moving to the U.S. than there are new Americans born. And so if you're a, a lender, a telco provider, an apartment leasing company, and you don't have a strategy for how to attract and retain this growing share of U.S. population growth, then you will demographically lose market share over time. And how do you find those companies that are looking for a unified credit passport? Do you have like a, an outreach strategy or is it mostly inbound? We're really focused on, uh, at least you know, within, within the business of credit cards and uh, telco, those are highly concentrated industries. So, you know, in cards, the top 10 players are close to 80% market share. In telecom, it's really, you know, the top three carriers have, you know, the vast majority of the market. And so we're in the business of whale hunting. So we, we are in pursuit of and in partnership with some of the largest um, companies in, 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 frankly, the world, and ultimately unlocking their ability to serve this customer segment more fairly, more equally, and instantly. Brian, can you tell me about a difficult engineering problem that you're working on right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time choosing, and let, and let me tell you why. Because uh, throughout my career, you run into challenges as you're integrating with some some ancient API, right? You run into challenges as you're working with an enterprise to come up with a, a solution that's not only secure, but allows them to it, uh, integrate pretty pretty easily without doing too much work on their end. Uh, you run into security and compliance challenges as you're protecting the data of your end users. I think there are infrastructure challenges as you're thinking about what does it look like to, to spin up servers in China or Australia. And really challenges that, that you encounter when you need to deliver with really, really high quality because your products uh, live on other other companies' websites. Your the data that you're delivering impacts whether or not a user is going to get a credit card, right? So I've encountered some of these challenges at different different places throughout my career, and I would say here at Nova Credit we have all of those challenges all at once. 
which is really interesting. And I think that that's why Nova Credit Engineering is a, a fun and challenging place to be. And that's why I'm excited to be here in month number two now and feeling like a, feeling like a kid in a candy shop at, at all of the, uh, all the opportunities that we have in front of us. Yeah. So you were at a firm before, so you've seen fintech infrastructure from a few angles. Are there any broad reflections you have on how fintech is changing or how the uh, underlying infrastructure related to financial technology is changing? Yeah, I think what what we know and we're getting that validation from our customers is that we can just move much more quickly. And we're investigating some things here at Nova Credit around bringing, bringing on additional valuable data streams onto the platform that can help our customers in the challenging times that we're in right now outside of the data that we have been previously. And it's, sorry to be vague, but I, th- I don't think we're ready to unveil some of those efforts up to this point. But as these our customers are looking around for different companies that help them solve these problems that they're facing, uh, they're not going to go to uh, an Equifax or TransUnion, TransUnion to solve those problems, right? They're gonna look to an Affirm or a Nova Credit. So I think it's important for us to continue to be surveying the landscape and seeing where we can step in and move quickly to help our enterprise customers and also our, our end consumers. And Misha, do you have any reflections from your time building Nova thus far about how fintech more broadly is changing? Yeah, I mean, from a B2B perspective, which is, which is kind of core to our, to our business, I mean, arguably we're, we're B2B to C because we do have a, a, a critical consumer element. I think to, to piggyback off of Brian, what Brian was saying, if you think about being in the shoes of a bank and trying to tap into all the innovation that's happening, you it takes you a very long time to build a single integration. We're not talking months or, or sprints. We're talking like more like quarters or, or unfortunately, you know, a couple of years to build a new data integration for, for them. And that has to do with just, you know, how complex their legacy systems are. And so in a world where, you know, many of the fintech lenders are able to build, you know, direct integrations into a variety of new data sources, that speed of technology adoption is something that banks really struggle with. And so, you know, there are opportunities, and I think Nova Credit is an example of this, of bringing a a platform-like solution where through a single partner, you're able to access a variety of new data sources that have been used by the by the fintech ecosystem and you're able to do that with some of the largest you know lenders and players in the world that bring an incredible amount of scale to that innovation and is the long-term goal of nova to offer your own credit products to consumers or do you just have a line of sight towards the business products at this point yeah the way we talk about our long-term vision is, is the statement, a world beyond borders. And the, the basic premise here is that we have a fundamental belief that eventually the world will become a single global consumer finance market. So, you know, today as an American, you can bank with American banks, you can borrow from American banks, and the U.S. financial system is, is pretty good. Like it, it certainly has room for improvement, but, you know, on a global scale, it's, it's pretty good. Whereas if you currently live in an emerging economy and you know, your banks may not be as sound uh, or the cost of capital may be quite high, you can really only bank and borrow you know, in the confines of your own country. And so t- today, 
the unique capability that we've unlocked is by virtue of being able to move credit data around the world, we can solve the problem of financial access for those who physically migrate. So if you physically move from country A to country B, we're the only company in the world that can access your data in country A and use that for your benefit to unlock products in a new market. And so we solve the problem of financial access for physical migration. But the I think the, the long-term vision is to take that capability and use it to unlock financial access for digital migration, meaning people who haven't, you know, don't have plans to or haven't set foot in the U.S., but are able to, to bank and borrow, you know, around the world the same way that you can bank and, in, in, you know, the same way that you can buy products on Amazon all over the world, the same way that, you know, small businesses can actually, and corporations can borrow around the world, or high net worth people can, can you know, save money around the world or, or borrow around the world. That capability has not really been extended to, you know, the mass population. And the reason for it is ultimately a data problem. And we've sort of laid, laid the foundation to be able to crack that, that puzzle in the long term. How has the business shifted since COVID-19? We're spending a lot of time with our customers and, and, and looking for ways to support them. So at the most macro level, you know, borders are obviously uh, currently shut. And so, you know, the, the volume of immigration happening right now is, is certainly um, decreased. But I still believe and our board and our, and our investors still believe that we're long term right, that, you know, the coronavirus does not kill the American dream. Ultimately, people still want to move here in pursuit of opportunity, of education, of uh, employment, of, of love, uh, whatever your reason for, for immigration. But there will be some, some period of time where the world adjusts to this normal, and that gives us an incredible opportunity to really look inward and continue to build a category-defining company and world-class product. I think in terms of just the, the timing of our Series B, we were incredibly fortunate to have just raised a $50 million round a few months ago. And so we get to be in a position of strength and play offense in this environment and continue to bring some of the best and brightest and mission-driven people onto the team. Okay. Well, Misha and Brian, thank you both for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. Likewise. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you.